Welcome back to episode two with Bevel and Beatty. Today is the day that we finish our interview and discuss more with her. She is awesome. You're going to love her. If you haven't heard the first episode, go back, check it out. You're going to want to hit that first before you come back to this one. And again, I have a Facebook Live with her I did a couple weeks ago that you can find on my page somewhere if you scroll down and <laughs> far enough. Anyway, this is part two of the interview with Bevelyn. Right, but then you've got Nancy Pelosi kneeling down. In, in a dashiki. With a a ke- yeah, with the kente cloth. And she's doing this like pandering and this whole we're cool with the black community let me show you why because i'm down on my knees so that clearly says i like black people and i'm cool with black people and somehow that's okay i guarantee you if trump did that it would oh no it would be an outrage for cultural appropriation racial insensitivity and the fact that he's pandering to the black community 100 percent. he would have got torn a new one he would have and the sad part is this melissa African print is not black culture. Right, you're right. First of all, if you really want to act like a black guy, put on a fitted cap and match and join. Right. Okay? That's the black community. That's Where black culture. You, yeah. That's black culture. Girl, you you know, come on. You go to hood right now. You think you're about to see black people with the dashikis on? No, you got to go to the African part of town. We, we're black. We wear Jordans and Allen Iversons and fitted cap backs and stuff like that. We don't wear that. I mean, and if she would have did that, it <laughs> That would have been too far, way too far. People were like, oh, no, my grandma. But how did they get away with that? Sister, if I knew, if I knew, I would tell you. I don't know how she got away with that. I don't, I don't understand it. Some things I just will never understand until I get to heaven. <laughs> because that was like, this is the idea of who black people are, so therefore I'm going to be cool like them so that I'm accepted by them. And yep. it's so patronizing. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's so disrespectful. Yes, it is. It's 100% disrespectful. I mean, I think for me personally, that wasn't even the worst. When Hillary Clinton said she 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 got hot sauce in her bag. I, remember, I heard that, yeah. Girl, that was just beyond for me. Well, I, just, and she, I mean, that's like saying the equivalent of like, what are we having for dinner at this community for the black community? Are we having fried chicken and watermelon? That's like the equivalent. That's exactly the same thing. Yeah. And it's like me doing the same to you. Like, hey, girl, uh, so uh, uh, let's have shepherd's pie for dinner. I'll, I'll figure out how to make it. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> Yeah, making assumptions crazy. on this is what culture is. So, And, and it is. It's, it's, there you go. But so, so now with your opinions being different... And the fact that you are saying things that you feel are truth and there's definitely facts behind what you're saying and you're not the only one saying it. How does it feel to be an outlier? I know within your Christian community, you have people that agree with you and they feel the same way because they feel we're all of God, etc. But for the rest of the black community who is not really down with that particular viewpoint because again they, they've grown up in a system of belief it's hard to change that overnight what does it feel like being an outlier i mean for me it feels liberating uh because i i would die more inside if i didn't tell the truth if i if i just went with the crowd and i just went with people uh and, and their opinions and just you know denied myself telling the truth i think i would feel so dead inside and so numb to just anything so for me, I, I feel so victorious and it feels exhilarating for me. It's kind of like it's that moment when you come home after a long day and you wipe your makeup off and you take off your bra. 
girl. It's just like, girl, do you understand? And you put the loose pants on, the loose pants. (laughs) Take the jeans off, the ones that were holding you tightly, and just put the put the drawstring on. They can get mad. They can call me house negro, all of that girl. By the time these loose pants is on and this makeup (laughs) on, do you really care? Is that when you sit down and eat shepherd's pie? Because secretly you actually like it. (laughs) (laughs) And fried chicken. And fried chicken. Let's go. That's a perfect dinner. I don't care. Oh goodness, that's so funny. So now, so now, when it when it comes to the media, because I think the media is responsible for a lot of this. Are they the ones that are pulling the race card? Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. It's the media. It's the media all day. The media plays. You got the media and the House Negroes. Those are the two biggest portions of this thing. House Negroes and media, because the House Negroes are going to co-sign and they're going to use their color to pull black people back in. And the media, of course, indoctrinate everybody. You know, back in the days, we used to trust media. When media reported something, it used to be true. Uh, I don't think people can fathom in their mind that media actually lies. I, I really don't think for some reason they get it. They just think it's a conspiracy. No, no, media wouldn't do that. Oh, well, you might want to reevaluate. I know for personal experience, because a lot of stories that went out about me were not sure was blatant lies. Mm-hmm. So this is what they do. Um, and they play a huge part in this uh, indoctrination thing we're dealing with. Well, like you're saying, you thought you know, the media is supposed to be news, mm-hmm. facts, objective information. But what they have become instead are editorials. Mm-hmm. Everything has an opinion underneath the quote facts. And they're trying to shape Americans' beliefs on every different issue. But I'm noticing, so let's let's look at kind of the, the current stuff that's been going on, the George Floyd, the Atlanta shooting, even the Bubba NASCAR situation. I bet you must have, like, just been like, are you kidding me with this? And I didn't know about that. Tell oh, me goodness. About okay, so you've got the only, he's he's got to be mixed race because this guy is very, very light-skinned. His name's Bubba. I, I wouldn't even have known, honestly, but he's the only, quote, black race car driver in NASCAR and, you know, professional race car driver. Uh, And everybody kind of knows the NASCAR audience is mostly white, tends to be, you know, fans of racing. And apparently in his garage where his car is, they found a noose a day or so before the actual race. So the FBI was called in to investigate the hate crime. And this, of course, went crazy with the news everybody picked this up about again reinforcing the narrative that there are a lot of racist people in this country that are essentially going back to the 50s and 60s when it was socially acceptable and Mm. so they did they kind of created I don't want to say not necessarily virtue signaling but it was definitely like a bunch of race car drivers all went around his car and slowly walked with him before the race started in solidarity for racial equality. So it was this big moment. People were crying. This was like emotional. Everybody's like, oh my God, we're coming together. And then two days later, the investigation's complete. And it turns out it's just the rope that closes the garage. It wasn't a noose. It's a rope that's in everybody's garage. First of all, it sounds like a Jesse Smollett case to me. Well, this is what's funny. The guy that I interviewed as my first episode that you haven't heard yet, but the guy I interviewed, he, he told me, we've talked a lot. He told me every time he sees this stuff now, he instantly thinks hoax because there have been yeah. so many examples of it. I wasn't really familiar with all these different examples. I've looked into it since then. 
But this idea, the whole noose thing to me is so predictable. It's mm-hmm. like the swastika, the, the, you know, white power being graffitied on something, the noose, like some of these things are just like textbook what you think you should do if it's a hate crime. Mm. That it feels to me like it's false. Because it is it, false. Right, because it couldn't be so like, just like, oh, I'm supposed to wear kente cloth because I'm going to be showing support for black people. It's like somebody believes that if you want to show that you hate black people, then this is what you do. And there's like a recipe for it. And it's only a handful of slogans that you can ever use for some reason. But the news thing, I had never heard of this before. And the gentleman I was speaking with said, you know, every time I see that, because apparently there have been other circumstances with a noose that were turned that turned out to be false. And it was a, and it was a hoax hate crime. And so I didn't really know that that even existed, to tell you the truth, before this, because if I saw that, I would just be horrified that there and somebody leaving a noose for somebody in the black community because they're ra- like, of course, I'd be horrified at that. But then you find out that this is actually just the way they pull down the door to the garage and that every single race car driver has it. And this guy, Bubba, never saw it himself. Somebody else saw it and reported it and called the FBI. It was this huge to-do, and then it turns out it was completely false. But by then, the news has already been there. The news has been made. And they're not going to take it back. And they can't. They're not going to. They're not going to. And then this guy, you think this guy Bubba's going to come out and say, you know, sorry, this was a misunderstanding, um, and come out and say, you know, uh, maybe, you know, this was kind of challenging for me. Maybe I just misunderstood, but you know what? For me to even be here, first of all, if NASCAR was racist, homie wouldn't be there in the first place. Maybe could it be that black folk just don't want to get in a car and drive and possibly damn die? Maybe black folk <laughs> just that okay. Maybe they're Does smarter in the end, right? Okay. <laughs> Does it have to be that the, 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 the white people are racist? Is it always about race? And how is it if they're so racist, you just that one black guy, you just the exception? Oh, you were light-skinned enough? Or maybe you were crazy enough to get in the car and drive and possibly die? And meanwhile, on his car, on his car, he has Black Lives Matter. Oh, God. I can't. You know what? So Black Lives Matter, put your job. It Put your job. You're, it's a white guy signing your check. We don't want no more, nothing else from white guys. Quit your job. Stop racing. Because your white supporters, this is a middle finger to his supporters. You're making your money and it's probably millions of dollars off of white people who support you. And so then you flaunt your Black Lives Matter in their face when they're showing you they support you. They're getting, you're getting rich off of them. It's a middle finger to his supporters. If I was them, I would never be, okay, he's canceled. Because everybody's canceled these days, right? Cancel him too. He need to be canceled. That is so disrespectful. Yeah, I mean, I, and I can see that. And I, and of course, I support this idea of racial equality. I always have, like I mentioned to you, you know, I've been involved with, intimately involved with friends and colleagues and coworkers in the black community for 30 years. So for me, this is a, an issue that's very near and dear to me. But I can also understand what you're saying and looking at things this way and seeing things differently and understanding how the media presents something versus what is fact and how people are sort of being played in all of this. But not just white people, black people, too. Everybody's getting played in the race card issue as we continue to put ourselves in boxes that are different from each other, that we are doing the opposite of unifying because all we're looking at is you're this, I'm this, you believe in this, I believe in this. And we're literally forgetting the fact that, oh, by the way, you're a human, I'm a human. Yes. And you know what? We miss out 
Oh, yeah. You, these people of different races have different qualities and attributes that you can learn from. We can come together and unite as one family to where I, I'm, I'm, as a black woman, I'm stronger in being passionate. I got a loud mouth uh, and I kind of can get a crowd going. Uh, as to where I've met white people who can be very analytical and critical thinkers. Um, and so, you know, it, it, you sharpen each other. You have Spanish who are a bit more spiritual. Um, they can just kind of tap into a supernatural realm. Naturally, they have this gifting. When you bring all three of that together and, and all these different cultures, you can have a beautiful portion of mankind coming together and making anything happen. But we're allowing ourselves to miss out on that because we're looking at, oh, he's black, he's white. Like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And you're so right. We're missing out on the gaining from the diversity. Like, what's weird is the, the policies for diversity are really just focusing on how to separate ourselves instead of actual diversity, meaning how do we integrate within each other? I was just explaining to um, a friend the other day, to me, to me, people that are truly racist, and of course we know they exist. I mean, belief systems don't change overnight. Like I said, it takes people generations sometimes to improve their tolerance and understanding for cultures they're not experienced with. And I think to me, it comes down to not being around people mm -hmm. of different ethnicities and cultures. So That's you don't exactly. have the friend in high school that you learn to care about and you guys share all these hobbies and things. You get to know each other's families and whatever. You don't have that coworker that you are working with and you share stories through life and you lean on them and whatever. You cannot understand somebody from a different culture if you are never experiencing interacting with them and investing in them emotionally because it allows you to keep that distance and put them in a group and make up these generalizations and stereotypes about that group because it's not personal to you. Exactly. I think, I mean, for me personally, I probably, it's kind of like a, what you're saying is exactly like people who hate America, right? I don't know if you've seen this when we were in chat. We were asking this guy about, uh, he was upset about the Make America Great Again slogan, right? And so we asked him, have you ever went to other countries? He could, well, yeah, but that doesn't matter. He could, I said, and they kept saying, where have you been? What country have you been to? He refused to say because he never went to another country. So he didn't understand the concept of the slogan meant make America great again based off of the competition of other countries. And when you've left America and went to other countries, you realize, wow. I do live in one of the greatest countries in the world. Maybe there's a reason everybody and their mama want to move here. Mm -hmm. So it's like when you get outside of your own bubble and you start to get to know and see other things, you realize, wait, maybe it's not as what I thought it was. So then people kind of look at me and criticize me. Uh, you, you got white friends. Your pastor is Russian. You hang out with this person. You got an Indian friend. You got an Asian friend. How? Because uh, I just see them as my friends. I don't look at, okay, yeah, they're Asian. I'll hang with them. They're cool. No, 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 no. They're people. If we meet, we vibe, we talk, we connect, it's just that simple. It's really just that simple. It really is. I, I mean, I agree with you 100%. I was always that one kid in class whose my friends were always of different races, all different types. And yeah. I, I think I always was really drawn to the uniqueness that people bring to yes. you. Yes, yes. And I don't see how you could ever be discriminatory to somebody if you if you have connected with somebody in that race personally. Exactly. 
exactly when you've cried with someone that is uh, uh, white or Spanish and you've sat with them and you've cried with them and you felt the same pain they felt, right. you really embrace matters. When, we, when we're both okay, something happened and we're both concerned and we're both upset and we're standing together holding each other's hands and crying together. Do you really think color matters in that moment? You are so 100% right on this. And I'm, I've been a really big promoter of this idea of like connect to people with humanity, whatever the differences are. It could be, oh, you hate, quote, anti-vaxxers and I'm the mother of a vaccine injured child. So you have all these viewpoints about who I am and how selfish and irresponsible I am because I'm putting your life at risk according to the media. So you have hate for me. You are wishing death upon me and my family, which has actually happened. Mm-hmm. So these differences come from a lack of understanding, a lack of connection between the two. You want to sit and have a conversation with me and understand what my first year with my daughter was like? I guarantee you at the end of that, uh, the end of that hour, you're going to look at me and other, quote, anti-vaxxers differently because mm-hmm. your eyes have been open to what a different experience is like. And the same goes for race and ethnicity and culture. We've got all of these generalizations flying around and, and people are trying to find solutions by separating us further. I don't see how that's a solution. Mm-hmm. But you notice that this really, we were really getting somewhere until Obama got into office. Then it feels like we're back in the, the 60s again. Like everything that we've established and built so far, thrown down in the garbage and we're back to the 60s, race baiting and race fighting. I mean, it, just, it makes no sense to me. So do you think what we're seeing right now with these ideas of police brutality and, and racial tension, first, first, do you think that real examples of police brutality based on racial motivation exist? Because I'm sure they do. Do you also, do you think that they're happening sometimes maybe, but maybe not the majority of cases? I mean, is this an issue that's there on some level? Yeah, yeah, I think so. And then when the media hops on board and throws everything in that direction and, it, and brings it to the forefront, you know, the thing for me is police brutality. That's a real issue. OK, but that's an issue for victims of multiple races. Mm-hmm. So if exactly. we want to talk about police brutality, the focus should be on using excessive force against any victim and finding all the different examples, because there are lots of them on video that show multiple situations like that. Is it true that it's it's always racially motivated? Is that statistically accurate? Let's look at their leadership. Let's look, let me tell you something. The police only answer to the governor and the mayor of the city. That's who they answer to. So if ever there's an issue with police, we need to address who? The leadership, right? So for me, yes, we need to reform police, but it's only but so much you can do uh, when the leadership is corrupt. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you something. And you live in L.A. In L.A. in Skid Row, right? At, if you're a business owner, right? Doesn't even have to be in Skid Row. Just in certain areas of town. If you're a business owner, and let's just say a homeless person puts up a tent in front of your restaurant and decides they want to poop and piss there, you as a business owner have really no right to tell them to leave. And even the police are bound by their mayor to where they cannot tell this guy. Gather up your things. You got to leave this public sidewalk. The homeless people in L.A. have more rights than business owners. How is that? The police only do what their leadership tells them to do. 
if they're bound and they're bound. So my thing is this, if we're dealing with brutality and all of these type of injustices, look at the leadership. That's where the reform is really going to come in. The leadership needs to be reformed. And I do start, I'm, I'm under the impression now that a lot of police chiefs and a lot of people in charge in these departments are very political. Like there's a uh-huh. lot of politics within law enforcement. And maybe yes. that is something that really does need to be addressed. Mm-hmm. That's a, the, a huge portion of it. Everybody's getting their cut of the pie. Everybody has to fit whatever face for whatever moment, whatever season. And a lot of these cops, even if they support what we do, I've, I've seen it firsthand. Even when they support what we're saying, they're so bound by their leadership that they can't even speak on it. They can't. They're bound by their job. They're bound by their uniform. Whatever their mayor or their governor tells them to do, that's what they do. And the sad part is you'll even have police officers doing what the mayor or governor tells them to do, knowing that the mayor or governor is promoting defunding them. And they're still crazy enough to go with Mm -hmm. it, all for the sake of having a job. And we're seeing this in these Dem states primarily, Mm -hmm. or Dem cities, major cities that are run by Democratic mayors. You said, I heard, I remember you telling me early on that you had run for state legislator. Okay. Yeah. You had run for state legislator. Uh, I don't know how many years ago this was now, but what encouraged you to do that? And would you ever do it again? Well, what encouraged me was that, that uh, they called me and they were literally begging and pleading for me to run. And they were like, we just need you to run. Uh, We need a Republican. You're black. Um, maybe this will work, please just run. So I prayed about it and I said, okay, Lord, I'll, 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 I know we're called as Christians to occupy and take up offices of influence. It's important. So I'm like, okay, I will run. Um, for me, what I learned was that, uh, even though a person is Republican doesn't mean that they, they, they will support you or they will stand on the same type of foundation you have. So what I've seen is Democrats are very united with one another, but Republicans are very divided and uh, they don't really support a lot. I believe that's why Trump won, because Trump had his own money. He was able to fund his own campaign. Mm -hmm. A lot of Republicans did not like Trump. They didn't want him. They wanted Romney. But Trump said, no, I'm coming in. He funded himself and he won. And we are seeing the fruit of that right now. He wasn't your typical politician. You know what I mean? He was a businessman, but willing to stand up and make a change. And for me, I've seen, because I was not uh, capitally strong, my, my capital wasn't as strong as it should have been, Republicans really didn't step up and support because I wasn't your typical politician. Mm-hmm. I was a girl off the street. So um, it's like a double-edged sword. It was like, you know, in a sense, I'm doing the right thing. I'm pushing. I'm, I'm getting people woke. But my team isn't standing with me. So in the future, if I did run again, I would definitely have to be financially strong mm-hmm. so that I can support myself. And I really don't want to go off of donations because when people donate to you, they got agendas with their donations. 100%. I'm off of that. I'm good. Just keep your donations, baby. Have yep. a good day and do what I got to do. Um, so, yeah, I would do it again, but definitely the Lord would have to open the doors for funding um, and really just, you know, for a solid team. That makes sense. And I know, like, everybody, we're all, you know, 
um, our schedules are all so super full all the time. So I know that time is an issue for you. I'll ask you one more thing. And then, I mean, I honestly could talk to you all the time about things <laughs> like because I just enjoy speaking with you. So hopefully we'll do this again. And I know we have plans to maybe do a Facebook Live in another week or two where people can finally get a chance to ask you questions. But for the last And question, I'm in L.A., so we could do an in-studio. Oh, in studio being my garage. It's not really this, yeah. gl- this glamorous. Okay. <laughs> it's not glamorous at all. Let me tell you, <laughs> this is like mom life with two little kids scrounging by to to take action and encourage people to have thoughtful discussions. I mean, it's it's a mess. But so for the last question, here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask what piece of advice would you give to men and women in the black community about moving forward in a way that will basically create the most opportunities and success and happiness for them? I'm going to be honest, as honest as I possibly can, for the black community, for you guys and us as a people to move forward, we got to stop being selfish and we got to see the bigger picture. If you cannot take the time to see the bigger picture, you will get caught in this mosaic chaos and you will not know how to get out. Um, And the only person I know who can do that for you is Jesus, to get you off of yourself and get you off into the bigger picture of freedom and truth and who he is as Lord in your life. That's what's going to make the difference. And that's the truth. And keeping an open mind, like you've always encouraged, is just being willing to to hear the other perspective and maybe open consciousness a little bit, even if it feels uncomfortable, even if it feels maybe not even a good thing because what if you do find out that what you believe this whole time really was something else? I mean, that's painful for a lot of people, I think, when they have those realizations. So being willing to be open-minded and being willing to have the tough discussions and the uncomfortable discussions, that's the only way we grow, right, as individuals. I appreciate you, Bevelyn. I appreciate you giving me the time in this discussion. Amen. We'll make a shake, sister, and stay in touch. Yeah, thank you so much again. And how can they contact you? So that they can follow you too. Yeah, yeah. You can follow me on Facebook at Bevel and Beatty, uh, also on Instagram, and also on YouTube. You can subscribe to my channel. And whenever I go live, you guys can come live with me and uh, join me as we go out and battle and just spread truth. Okay, perfect. So that's how you guys can contact her and stay up to date with her, follow her, and check out what new videos and things that she's putting out and she has some really great ones from this last week because she has been everywhere so good for you I'm happy that other people saw what I saw which was your willingness to have this honest discussion and present yourself in a way that can't really be argued with which I love that that's that's what I do on my issues so I love that you do that so thanks again Bevelyn and we will talk soon all right girl we'll go on oh well I love Bevelyn is awesome I hope you guys enjoyed this and We will continue having more conversations like this on What They Aren't Telling You with Melissa Floyd. Thanks for listening, everyone.